Hi! Today is June 30th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot is the imposed U.S.-Canadian border of the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki, Bears Paw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Status, Inuit, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Hoki. Mekochis. Chastakom. Aki. Hi, I'm Michelle Robinson. My name is Red Thunder Woman. I apologize to any language keepers that if I may have accidentally said Red Thunder Woman um, incorrectly, I'm trying to learn pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot because these are the lines I'm on. Um... I was born here in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, Satu Dene, uh, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My, I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area called Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, which was named after the Calgary Stampede, which starts in a few days. Land acknowledgements are critical at creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest, which is why I do it. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, just like you don't speak on behalf of, I don't know, all Irish or all American, whatever you're listening from. But I share what I know as I go down the red road. If you're Indigenous and experiencing emotional distress after anything we talk about today or want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. For non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I'd like to say thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So I want to start off by again acknowledging it's Pride Month and Indigenous Aware Month, Awareness Month, so um, great days, obviously. Happy to be uh, celebrating. I feel like I have so much to talk about, so I'm just going to get going and talk and talk and talk. So number one, uh, an issue that I think is in the news right now is most definitely uh, in the U.S. and their detention centers. Um, You know, I tell you this because I was raised here in Canada in, you know, typically non-Indigenous world. And we were kind of like, like it was shoved down our throat, the uh, military history. I mean, maybe my family was a little, you know, off the mark because uh, my dad w- actually grew up in Yorkton and grew up like in the, on the base and um, was always around the armories. And we always, um, you know, talk about military stuff and politics. So maybe I'm just super uber, uber, uber paying attention to it. 
Or maybe there's actually something good to say about the Alberta education system. I'd like to think both. But anyway, um, I was taught very clearly that Nazis were bad. Nazis and white supremacy, nationalism, these are things that are bad. These are things that hurt people. And for folks across the globe to not quite understand this concept says to me, you weren't paying attention when learning about World War II. You weren't paying attention at Remembrance Day ceremonies. You know, you didn't have someone in the family who was somehow a part of this. It's actually a little more complicated, even in my own family, because I really do have family that was German or related to, um, you know, the, oh, the bad guys, the Nazi side. So, but, you know, we've all moved on and we understand it was wrong, blah, 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 blah. So I don't quite understand the globe allowing what is happening in the U.S. right now with the whole, you know, we hate immigrants and we're going to separate all immigrants from their families. And I'm just going to read you a few things that I was so shocked. I shared them on my Twitter account, on my Facebook page, and I don't understand how more people aren't listening to this. So David Rowe um, at Road D. He actually said, Taliban gave me toothpaste and soap. Why is that relevant? Because the little kids that are being kept in cages like dogs are not being given toothpaste and soap. So they're getting dirty and they're getting diseased and they're not being healthy. This David Rowe guy, according to um, another fellow, said this guy was kidnapped and held by the Taliban for eight months. So David was given by the Taliban toothpaste and soap. And Stone Kettle pointed it out to all of us that he was obviously treated better by the Taliban than the U.S. is treating babies and kids right now. I don't know why you're all cool with that. I'm certainly not. I think at this point we have to really consider, um, you know, what all our allies had to start thinking about in World War II. What point in time do we get involved? So I really, I'm planting the seed. Please, folks, start paying attention. Another thing I posted that was super scary was that, so these detention centers are called ICE, ICE de detention centers. They actually said, you know, um, the staff are knowingly sexually abusing these children at this point. And, you know, at this point, the ICE detention center says that the det uh, detainees consented, which tells you all that you need to know about, you know, rape, sexual assault, um, lack of consent, all of these things that are pretty prevalent in our society. The fact that they felt comfortable saying that. Can you imagine Hitler and the Nazis being like, no, they totally consented to us sexually assaulting them. That They were totally cool with that. I don't quite understand, world. Why are you letting this happen? This is a bit of an issue. Anyway, let's move on. Um... Another thing that has been happening a lot um, internationally is Canada has been saying a lot of things to the UN about many different subjects, which we'll get into. But um, there was, a, I guess this wasn't the UN. Um, American senators actually asked for a Canadian doctor, Dr. John O'Connor, uh, to come to Washington and talk about the tar sands health impacts. So he did because he was asked to. And he said, you know, um, the... This northern Alberta doctor warned U.S. senators about what has been going on with the devastating health impacts of tar sands on families and, and their effects. Okay, just before I continue here, um, for those who do not know what tar sands are, tar sands are the um, 
natural occurring uh, resources that happen here in northern Alberta. Why this matters so much to me is that the caribou population there, uh, the water population, it, it's completely toxic now. So the uh, caribou are almost being eliminated and the water is completely wrecked. So uh, tar sands is a term that was first used in the 60s because it, it really looks like tar sands. Um, but then the, the industry wanted to improve itself. So then they said oil sands. But a lot of the environmentalists use the term tar sands because that was, well, and the older generations use it as well. So it's not just an environmental thing. It's an older generation thing. Um, so a few people say tar sands, a few people say oil sands. And I had a friend who really taught me just to always say bitumen because that's really what it is. And then there's another term, dilbit. And dilbit is um, bitumen that's diluted so that it's more transferable. But they're in, in all forms, it's toxic. End of discussion. So anyway, we've had a few whistleblowers try to tell the world, hey, look at all the health effects that are happening from all of this resource development, in which case, you know, they're poo-pooed, um, attacked by the medical association because they're all interlinked, right? All of these establishments, they all perpetuate themselves so that the economy stays uh, bright and, and wonderful. Unfortunately, who's at the other end of the tar sand developments? Usually natives, caribou and all the fish. So guess who's getting really sick? Yeah, that's right. So anyway, this Dr. John O'Connor was asked to testify to the senators in Washington. And he said, you know, he cited statistics for rare cancers of the bile duct, for example, that have shot up 400 times what is considered normal for a tiny communities such as Fort Chippewan, which are all Dene, which is downstream and north of the oil sands. These are published peer-reviewed studies that indicate that the government of Alberta and Canada have been lying, misrepresenting the impact of the industry on the environment, says Dr. O'Connor. The Alberta government has long denied cancer links to the uh, province's multi-billion dollar crown energy jewel. It states on its website that there is insufficient evidence to link it whatever. We all know that. He goes, that's hard to believe. All the scientific studies have that have accumulated are almost like they don't exist. For one example, he shows leukemia and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma has spiked in the last 10 years alone, especially among men who live downwind of the uh, pollution plumes from the oil and gas tar sands facilities east of Edmonton. So this is even like the second stage. So they've, they've processed it up in Fort Mac. And it's already down in the facilities east of Edmonton. And the people who are downwind of that have leukemia. So, like, this is just one article. And thank you to the VancouverObserver.com for uh, this link that I was able to share. I think it's really important. I mean, we've been talking about this for years, but I think, you know, I'm a Native woman, so eh, people don't listen to Native women. I know. I know, you're all shocked. I'm not shocked at all, actually. That's what happens. Another thing I wanted to bring up was um, uh, opioid crisis. So a lot of you may not know, I ran. I ran for the munici municipal politics as well as provincial politics. I care about harm reduction. Um, it's a major issue in my area, but not just here. I've lost a friend in Red Deer over it. I'm, you know, friends in, in the blood reserve there. I'm losing people in my life over the opioid crisis. And, and even my friend in Red Deer, he was white. Like, this isn't, a, you know, just a racist thing. This is a, a 
everybody thing. So, well, I, I should preference that. It is a race thing in the sense that, um, you know, it's disproportionately affecting Indigenous people because uh, addiction, poverty, all those related issues under the Indian Act have caused this to be um, a, a bigger issue because Indigenous don't get proper health care, because uh, Indigenous have never have been treated for intergenerational trauma, have never been given proper mental health resources. Of course, it's disproportionately affecting Indigenous people, especially when you focus in on homelessness and other, um, you know, land plane clearing initiatives in order for settlers to take over. So anyway, um, so I should preference it like that. Anyway, this was a really cool story. Edmonton doctor opens an opioid clinic geared to South Asian community. Yeah, I think that's a pretty important community to be focusing on. I don't know why it's so painful for folks to understand. We all have cultural differences, but we do. So that's why I really applaud this doctor who moved to Edmonton from India in 2003, who's saying there's a lot of stigma and misinformation about opioid use. They're not well educated on the healthcare system. And I would probably argue, and this is away from the Edmonton Journal's article, you know, there are language barriers, uh, integration barriers. But, you know, it makes me happy to see somebody somewhere cares enough to be like, hey, maybe we should even approach this a little differently. <laughs> anyway, moving gears. So Toronto Pride happened. Uh, for those who are unaware, um, Toronto Pride is one of the biggest ones in the world. It's definitely the biggest in the country. And like a million people march. I'm not even joking. It's a huge, huge uh, pride. So apparently um, Olivia from Pride put on a land acknowledgement. And you may have seen it along the internet, um, news articles, Twitter, Facebook, it's out there. But it was an awful, <laughs> awful land acknowledgement that actually didn't acknowledge the traditional ter territory that they're on. You've heard mine repeatedly if you've listened to the show more than once. You know, I'm pretty clear about whose land I'm on over and over and over. And I acknowledge all the partners that are a part of the treaty. Um, none of this was a part of it. It was actually so bad. I went to some um, uh, anti-racism training. And, and this was a collaboration between AROC, which is a group of people I always refer to here in Calgary. They've done some amazing work out of community-wise. And their anti-racism work is really built for nonprofits so that they can start doing some systemic structural changes to their community in order to make it more um, inclusive for everybody. And in order to do that, you have to do a lot of work. And I love the way the person who facilitates it says it because they'll say um, something to the effect that, you know, if you have a new software, you know that that systemic change takes years to implement and to have everybody online for but for some reason people don't see that when it comes to anti-racism training well they don't say that I say that but it's true so anyway um <laughs> the reason why it's so significant that Tr pride toronto has the worst land acknowledgement ever is because this was the place that black lives matter stopped the parade three years ago and said hey did you know that the lgbtq2 plus community is actually quite racist to, you know, people of color, especially black people. And I think um, Toronto more magnified because of the way um, their systemic racism was set up municipally and uh, the types of issues that they face there. But it that resonated. That that wave resonated so hard. It, 
it came here to Calgary and we were forced to address it as well. And that's really, that's the foundation of voices. That's how we came to be. And, um, so here we are three years later and Toronto pride, obviously is not doing any of the work to do some systemic, um, racism changes within their community. And, um, they even, uh, through another Indigenous person who we haven't named yet under the bus, but they were really awful to two of the Indigenous um, two-spirit in the community. So I've been following that and been posting about that if you've been paying attention at all to my feeds. Um, but really passive-aggressive, like, can an Indigenous person be racist against Indigenous people because you are offended by how they chose to reflect a land acknowledgement? I find it amazing that you don't ask once in all your angry emails who actually wrote it. Like, that's pretty, pretty awful. So, I, sorry to, sorry to read that, Aaron, that that was said to you and multiple other folks. I'm really grateful that, uh, Folks are speaking out because it's not easy. It is not easy speaking out. I know that. And, um, you know, I face a lot of uh, ugliness because of it. So hats off to you at Calgary or at Calgary Pride, um, Toronto Pride, all the indigenous who are like, hey, this isn't cool. And for those who consider themselves allies, it would be really be great if you could help facilitate some bridge building. Because what has this done? if not completely gone back to ground zero, maybe even further. Because any of the work that has been done is now erased. So I'm definitely thinking about you out in Toronto, folks, because we've been trying to do this work here in Calgary, and that's its own conversation for sure. So if you listen to my other podcast, you might have, may have heard me talk about meetings that I was very concerned about having interfaith conversations about... Um, you know, colonialism and homophobia, but I was so grateful to get emails saying, nope, we're just going to include colonialism and homophobia. And I just thought, thank God. So we actually had um, an announcement on June 26th, and it's the um, inter uh, announcement and inauguration of the Interfaith Community Task Force uh, and approach to resisting and eliminating hate, racism, and violence here in Calgary. And it was down at the mosque, so just around the corner from me. So that worked out really great. So we had a meeting beforehand, and then we had a, like a, a press release. We invited media and the public to talk about it. Because we have like over, you know, 50 uh, faith groups and community organizations coming together to, you know, resist and eliminate hate, racism, and violence. So, and, and talking about, you know, faith, color, gender, everything. So it was really wonderful to have that meeting and... Like, there wasn't even a hiccup in our meeting beforehand um, at all, actually. So I think that's a really positive initiative. And I, I really hope that it starts showing folks that there is a lot more of a united front. Because I know for me, um, I mean, I advocate for everybody. And even if people constantly hurt me, I'm still going to advocate for them. But I, that doesn't mean I have to advocate the same way that I normally do. This is a form of advocacy. And for all of those folks who are like, well, that's just like armchair advocacy, I would argue no, it's not. Because armchair advocacy isn't being uh, heard around the world. So to folks who are listening around the world, um, there's a lot of ways that, you know, whether it's the Canadian public, it's just our society in general, really tries to downplay activism and, you know, political movements and such. So, so to me, this is incredibly important that we're all working together and doing this. And we released a whole bunch of the um, community partners and that, which, of course, you can find online in many different ways. 
um, really appreciate being able to, to share this and I'm excited about it. Um, been working a lot with Calgary Pride and those are not easy conversations. I know as a lot of folks in the gay community are incredibly marginalized people, it is hard to sometimes see how we can then change that into a racism issue. And it, and it's funny to me because here I am straight cis, clearly straight cis. And, um, you know, even me, like I'll say, because I'm straight and cis, I have privileges and I think differently. And I don't know why that's such a hard concept for other folks to understand that just because you're, you know, gay doesn't mean you understand racism. There is a huge difference there. Uh, just as I will never understand what it's like to be LGBTQ2+. But I do understand where my position is. And that is to shut up and listen unless somebody asks me otherwise. So anyway, there are, they have been very, very difficult conversations. Um they have a new board. So in a lot of ways, it feels like, you know, ground zero. That said, their executive director is so fabulous. I just love them. So, you know, thankfully, we have, you know, some allies there that are, are advocating that are doing amazing work. And because our pride here in Calgary isn't until September long weekend, right now is the crazy crunch time for folks where they are, you know, because uh, first of all, everybody's volunteer. And they're, they're working overtime, working night, like everything that they can do right now is being done so that we're ready to go for pride. So always grateful for a lot of that work anyway. Um, so I just wanted to give a bit of an update. I actually had a friend who said, you know, oh, I'm really hoping we can get the police in. And it's like police have always been welcome to pride. We've just asked they don't show up in their uniform, but you know, those are really hard conversations, especially for people who just love, 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 love the police. But those are usually people of privilege who've never had negative experiences. So that's a huge part of it, right? Anyway, so um, definitely sharing a lot about refugees as well, because um, I don't understand why people don't see how refugees come to be. Uh, I think part of the reason why our ancestors welcome people onto the land, other than they didn't see that they own the land, but were caretakers of it. But it's also because they don't have the rights to say, Ooh, you're ugly. You're different. You're diseased. You're starving. The opposite. They went, Holy cow, you're starving here. Come eat, get better. Let's mend you. We'll teach you how to live here so that you can get better. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I'm so weird that way, but I wish everybody thought that way. And I'm grateful that our ancestors taught that so that they can remind me when there are days that I just want to be like, ugh, these people. <laughs> anyway, really good things. Uh, dear America, you're waking up as Germany once did to the awareness that a third of your, peop third of your people would kill another third while a third watches. And uh, Herzog said that, Warner uh, Herzog. I don't know. I should probably fact check that to see if that's true that he said that. But I'm, I think you get the understanding and the feeling of the gravity of that. Always sharing some uh, different information that I come across. Um, this one was a hard one the first time I came across it because I love dogs. So if you love dogs, prepare yourself. Um, a lot of people are still unaware in Canada of their own history and their own recent history. So I was born in 1977 you know, I'm 42. 
From 1950 until 1970, the RCMP slaughtered thousands of sled dogs used by Inuit communities. This policy created food and medicine shortages, led to sickness and famine, as the use of sled dogs were vital for hunting and transportation. Just imagine, though, that's part of your family, right? All of us know that. Anyway, so I preferenced it by saying, now I've tried to explain this to people, but there's so much history to be acknowledged in policing um, that, that's regular, regularly disregarded. Uh, TRC 57, public ser- servants need Indigenous education and anti-racism training. Most Canadians are unaware that the RCMP did this to their people, to their dogs. So hold your puppies close. Tell them how much you love them. And maybe it makes more sense now why it is that Mason's death hurts so damn hard. But, um, yeah, I learned a lot about, uh, intergenerational trauma. And I just want to reiterate it for folks who may not know what I'm talking about. Uh, this is something that if it happened to your grandparents or your great grandparents, it still affects you. It's in your blood. It's in your trauma. It's in your DNA. And an example that they have, they have studies to show they, um, they, the medical industry had shown a study that shows that by, you know, always exposing people to the smell of cherry blossom, but doing something really horrific while doing it, um, that the great grandkids rats would have, um, whenever they smelt cherry blossom, their brain would automatically go into the flight, flight, uh, fight, flight, or freeze, um, response just by smelling it. And they didn't know why. So think how many things that happen in my life every single day that something feels really wrong and really hurts and I can't explain why. And I always wonder because we were from Yellowknife, Satudene, even further north. We weren't Inuit. Um, I, I remember asking my family, what is the difference between Inuit and our people? And they were like, the tree line. <laughs> Obviously language and culture too, but, you know, it was that close. Like we were integrated that well, right? So once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, sometimes it feels like, but it's not far away. That's why I'm telling you this. That's why this, you know, y'all need to get over it. Attitude really is hurtful because, you know, if the Jewish Holocaust happened, you know, three decades ago, like who would feel right about like today? I would never say something like that. So I can't imagine saying it anytime closer in history, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's celebrate. First pride parade held in holy town of Amasar, India. And they have a really great picture of UBU. And I don't know. I'm just happy for folks when they have their first celebration. I literally just came from Chestermere where they just had their second pride. So, you know, super excited. I'm just waiting to put those pictures up after I'm done uh, this podcast. So if you see them, no, that's what's on my mind right now. Anyway, really great memes. If your response is, the parents should have never brought their children here illegally, know this. I pray to God that you will never have to flee violence or poverty or persecution with your children. And if the day comes that you must and your babies are forcefully removed from your arms, I will fight for you too. You know, and I think the reason why this is such a touchy subject for me is because I know what's happening here in Canada right now. Right now, the uh, child welfare has zero accountability. It's it's disgusting. I know everybody thinks that these are fabulous saviors that are here to help the world, but actually they have no accountability. What happens with no accountability? 
abuse. And that's what's happened here. We have an abuse of power. And um, because of that, we have uh, three times the amount of kids are in care today than at the height of residential schools. So if we're doing, you know, 94 calls to action, we had a huge apology. There was a, a payment settlement, um, a commission that went out because of the apprehension of children through Indian residential school. What is going to happen when our grandkids look at us and go, you knew this was happening. How could you be okay with this? You see, and, and I know that is exactly why Canadians aren't like, well, you know, we should probably stop the American president now because he's, uh, you know, taking the immigrant kids away from their moms. They, they're already totally accustomed to those, you know, goddamn natives and their goddamn problems. And why won't they just goddamn get over it? That's my uh, Canadian impression. And because of it, and they have this attitude and they, they're racist and they don't even know their own bias. They have zero problem with Indigenous children being taken from Indigenous families, just like they have zero problem with what's going on in the States. So to see that and over and over and over, and I know I have, you know, just a couple of listeners that listen regularly, not even my mom, but, you know, a few people that listen regularly that you're the exception to the rule and I appreciate you listening to me. But you know what I'm talking about, the majority of the Canadians completely don't care about indigenous issues, you know, won't even show up to a book club, won't read a book, won't read a report. Then these are free, available online, not in their paradigm because they don't care because their bias stops them from even having empathy for people. So I, that's why I go back to that one meme that I shared about a third of people are okay with killing people. A third of people are, are okay with watching it. Because that's what's happening here in Canada. That's how the genocide has perpetuated. Just as the MMIW uh, report said, just as the TRC said, just as the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People said, <sighs> I, I don't understand how your bias and racism can stop you from being good people. You have no problem traveling overseas to do so-called missionary work. I, I will never understand Canadians, I swear, even though I was born and raised here. So anyway, anyway, anyway. Oh, an, an event I want to plug. Everything too. One Immigrant's Way of Acknowledging the Indigenous Territory Which She Dances On. And this is put on by uh, folks down in the East Village. Uh, Lee Sufa. She's going to be doing, or they, sorry, are going to be doing, um, no, she, Which She Dances. Uh, she's going to be doing a dance to basically explain how she feels after, you know, making a treaty seven and all of the things that they have learned from, uh, indigenous education in general. You know, I know I just finished going on most Canadians, but there are those rare exceptions and this is one of them. So this event is happening July 4th, 7 PM down at the Riverside Plaza East village. And, you know, I just really, really hope if you're in Calgary and you're considering going, just go, this is, this will be the night of sneak a peek. So, you know, it'll be kind of nice to get away from the stampede excitement. I'm sure it'll already smell on the grounds there, but you know, it'll be a reminder why you don't go to stampede. If you don't go to stampede, <laughs> I'll probably be there. So we'll see. Or there, sneak a peek one or the other. <laughs> um, ah, darn it. I just, just scrolling up on my Facebook page to talk about some of the things that I was sharing over the week. And one of the things that I was retweeting on Twitter and there was, there's a whole community on Twitter for folks who don't do Twitter. 
And they've been sharing missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit. And one of the ones that we were all kind of, you know, trying to stay on top of was Kim Cardinal. And um, the St. Paul Detachment, uh, RCMP, were, were sharing her her um, picture and, you know, to pay attention. Their family was, was sharing and saying, hey, like, I, I seen her auntie sharing. I, I shared it on Native Calgarian. Like, just a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous person. And unfortunately, up in Saddle Lake, they did end up finding remains of somebody. I don't know if I've seen confirmation that it's her, but I think we all know that's who it is. Um, so super sad about that because I always try to share the, um, the missing indigenous and, you know, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, she, she'll, she's always the first one to say, Michelle found, it's okay. And there's that moment of like joy and relief. It's like, okay, that's one. Yes. You know, we don't know why they ran away or, or why they went missing shortly, but at least they're, they're okay now. They're at least found. Um, but then sadly, uh, other ones come up and they, they come up with the opposite and something else that happened, uh, here in Calgary was on a regular basis. We hear about a shooting, a cop shooting in my area. So I live in the greater forest lawn area and, um, and it's always hard because whether it's downtown or anywhere across the city, there's this, you know, comment about um, body found and they don't release the name at first. So then it's, you know, then what we call the moccasin telegraph. We're all on Facebook, all on Twitter, wondering who it was and are we going to find out who it is because we know it's always our people first. And um, unfortunately that, that happened. There was a police shooting in our area and, you know, folks were, were talking about it. And of course, you know, the police and the media work hand in hand together and always give out the positive spin for the police so that we've already demonized whoever it is before the name or the sex or the race has even come out. And uh, sure enough, it came out later of who it was. So anyway, um, that's, that's, I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. I'm going to talk about Air Canada. I think every Canadian knows Air Canada is like <laughs> very hit and miss. So I wanted to read to you um, Gurpeet Norwin's uh, tweets. Dear Air Canada, my sister was just called a 9-11 bloodsucker by a passenger while boarding one of your flights. The person is now smirking at her because according to your staff, racist abuse isn't sufficient grounds to remove them from the flight. Can you please explain why? In the past three hours, you have responded to complaints about your website, to requests for seat changes, but you've ignored my question about your policy on racial harassment. If at all concerned, you can start by asking me to direct message you with more details about the incident. And of course, um, it was confirmed not a single person said anything. And I just wanted to showcase it because it's not just Native people, it's brown people too. Um, I shared something from Mal V, who is a, a black uh, spoken word poet here in Calgary and regularly talks about racism. Canada, if you are not red, brown, or black, you have racist racism throughout the entire system that needs addressing. You need to do the work to undo it. You can't just pretend to sit helplessly. 
because I know a lot of people do that and it drives me mental. I've unfriended so many so-called friend, you know, progressive people who just sit there on their couch, cry and don't do anything. They don't, you know, educate their friends, their family, the people, their co-workers. They don't make any change within their organizations. You have all the power to do that. You do. I do not. They don't listen to me. I'm just a stupid native to them. But to you, they have the, you, you have that. You have the power I do not have. Um, but that said, I'm not a stupid native. I obviously know more than obviously the freaking politicians who don't know what the White Goose Flying Report is, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, whatever. They don't know nothing. And, and any natives that are listening to me, when I say that, I'm just making fun of the stupid Canadian narrative, never us. Because you need to understand, you know the Indian Act, you have a lived experience, you know your culture. You know more than the average politician, I promise you. I have sat in front of somebody who was a prof, who went to Harvard, who was our mayor, who looked at the budget, who didn't know we paid taxes. Like, it's that bad still. And this guy thinks he's a progressive dude. He thinks I still go to university for free. I don't. A lot of people think we all get paid from some foreign country. We don't. And if I do, please tell them about my podcast and tell them to donate because that would really help immediately. <laughs> Just being a jerk. But I think I'm funny and I crack myself up. So that's why I joke all the time because I think I'm funny to my, my native brothers, sisters, cousins. Um, just know like what our families have endured, what you've endured. That's what gives me strength and inspiration. And I, I just want you to know that, um, that's where my pride comes from. And I hope it comes from you too. So, um, oh, there was this, uh, really gruesome assault that happened just north of the city in Airdrie. And I, I know in when I was working for 12 Community Safety Initiative and I was sitting on different boards, we were talking about um, the amount of resources that are going to the surrounding Calgary towns and, um, you know, the need for more resources to go all around Calgary because of what's happening. So there was a a story that came from, and I seen it from 66 uh, City News. They said, um, I'm lucky to be here. Don Warden's life was changed forever on June 9th. Okay, this is going to get gross, so I'm sorry, folks. If you're triggered, might not want to listen. I mean, I don't know why anyone who gets triggered listens to me at all, but definitely remember that we have the wellness helpline. There's also Awuton if you're in Calgary. Um, anyway, this person said that uh, the ex-boyfriend attacked her in her Calgary home or sorry, Airdrie home, so used to saying Calgary, with a sword slicing off her fingers and one of her ear. Uh, the violence was horrific. All of my fingers were pretty much cut off except my thumb. I lost three. They saved seven. Think about the gravity of that. Can you imagine? My shoulder was cut from my back to the end twice. Think a V-shape. There are two marks there. It was a cut to the bone. My ear was cut off to the back of my neck. I have three gashes on my stomach and one on my right thigh. After the initial attack, Warden said that the man then set the room on fire, and she was rushed to hospital where she spent eight hours in emergency surgery so doctors could reattach some of her fingers and her ear. Doctors used stitches in her hands and ears and 150 staples to close up her horrific wounds. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say. When <sighs> I don't understand... 
how it is people think it's okay to treat women this way or treat anybody this way frankly because it's not just women i i know that there's violence against men too um i'll just read you something from this according to the domestic violence organization that works closely with the police sages uh cps is on track to receive 30,000 domestic related violence related calls this year so you know and they they have quotes from the non-indigenous um helplines of course um and I'll I'll just plug this number, you know, 1-403-234-7233 or SAFE if you're experiencing domestic violence um, in the Calgary area. But if you're not in the Calgary area, which I couldn't help but notice, this, um, again, ignored the fact that we have um, Awaton Healing Lodge. If you're Indigenous, call Awaton Healing Lodge. They also have that safe exit. And what that means is that you can go on their website and then when you're done, you know, trying to find your, make your safety plan, trying to find any safety related resources, you can just hit the safe exit button and it erases the history in your, in your um, website so that that way, if somebody's stalking your, your internet, they, they don't see that part because I, I think that's really critical. Anyway, 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 um, I, I just thought it was important to tell you all about it because, you know, this horrific stuff is happening around us and I'm going to focus a lot on another case here very shortly, but even regardless of that case, this case shows me that this society is not just okay with violence against women. It's just not okay with it. It, it almost condones it because nobody's talking about this. You know, people are talk about it if the media asks. But I mean, this should be a hold the phone. Nobody's going to be doing anything until we all sit down and talk about how it's not okay to hurt people like that. This person had left them. That's another thing. Why didn't she just leave him? What you may not know is that when you leave someone, you're at the highest risk of being killed by that person. We are actually lucky this person wasn't killed and was even able to tell this story. I can't imagine the post-traumatic stress disorder training that they're going to have to go through now or counseling. So anyway, so I'm, I'm going to, uh, to talk about this case now because I have to. Um, so Robin Fiddler was the person that was killed the other day here in Calgary. They finally released their name. Um, thankfully when they released the name, they already had, a lot of the family had been interviewed by the media and the media printed a lot of their quotes. So thankfully, it's been a lot easier to talk about this through, you know, quoting family members. So from this, now I've actually seen this person um, around because I work, live here, right? I just didn't know her name and I uh, didn't, didn't know her. So, you know, it's not like we were friends, but, um, you know, she's a mother of three. I think that's probably the most important thing that you need to know. Um, and I'm just going to read to you some of the things that came out in the news. Global News said that um, that she actually was taken to hospital where she actually died. And she had uh, some form of pepper spray on her. So Robin's family from Waterhen Lake First Nation in Saskatchewan and her cousin wanted to raise awareness that there are many historical factors that led up to a, tra a tragedy like this. And that's, if you've been following me, 
That's all I've been talking about, the lack of implementation of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to justice and or, well, all the calls to action for that matter, City of Calgary, uh, Alberta government and uh, Canada. But also we now have the National Inquiry Report that I feel that every municipality should be analyzing and going, okay, what is our role in this? So there's a lot of issues here that need to be unpacked. And I mean, this is on top of the multiple reports, national reports, international reports on violence against Indigenous women that should have been implemented at the community level, the city level, uh, provincial level, and nationally. Oh, and also, if Waterhen Lake First Nation is ringing a bell, it is because we had Dustin uh, Fiddler, who was also on our podcast here. And that's where he was a counselor, or he is a counselor at Waterham Lake First Nation. Um, and he was here talking about uh, youth initiatives and, you know, always working with youth and trying to um, increase capacity and structure for, for the youth. Anyway, Robin's family also said that they should have in cultural awareness training for everyone, but not just to get a job, but so that they really understand where Indigenous people are coming from, says Angela. Uh, this morning highlights incident highlights the reality that there were no routine calls in policing. CPS said in a news um, release. Well, I'm not going to give this. Everyone's talking about the cops' point of view. Yay you, yay you. You love the police. You love love them up. You know what? The irony is, I bet you I even know who this police officer was because they at one point in time said it was a female, a six year vi- uh, veteran, and I I know those a few cops that are meet that description and yeah they're they're nice enough people but you know i'm not blaming this one officer i'm saying the whole damn system needs to be restructured the whole damn system needs to change and you know they talk about the body camera that was on the officer well i sure hope they play the whole interaction and the whole conversation and i you know and even if they do and if it comes out the way, it, of course, every pro-cop person is going to say, here's the problem. I guarantee if there was any issues of addiction, her going to work, whatever, the end of the day, an, an individual Indigenous woman walking has prompted enough calls from the community because it's like, these goddamn Native women shouldn't be on the goddamn streets. They should be in the goddamn reserves. Because that's the way Canadians think. I wish I was wrong. Prove me wrong. I'd love to be wrong. Anyway, no intergenerational trauma, um, medical services, as per usual, we have a, you know, hardly any addiction services. So of course, this is prompting me to want to be a part of that solution. I'm going to be taking mending broken hearts, mainly because it's, it's not even always rooted in addiction. It, there's a bigger picture. And I've said this many times, there's no one who gives a shit actually about indigenous families that are struggling with that trauma of losing somebody. Um, the services are completely culturally inadequate, completely. Uh, most places will not allow you to smudge anywhere. So anyway, anyway, getting off my soapbox here. Um, I just thought it was really important that a lot of folks heard the human side and that everyone in her family loved her. A mother of three, obviously three kids now without their mother. And what you may not know is that Waterhen uh, Lake community, everyone is encouraged to carry pepper spray. So that's actually a cultural norm. Um, And this is Robin's niece, 
I feel that Robin would would not have used that unless she really needed to. Um, her cousin Angela questions why this situation resulted in Robin being shot. I'm sure that there was a very different if there was a very different method to talk to Robin, none of this would have come out. Robin was never one to go out of her way to attack people. Um, she was never like that. She always wanted to help. So now, of course, her funeral is being planned in uh, Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. And um, the Calgary Sun said that she was doing trades, doing construction. She was always in good spirits and that she loved the city of Calgary. And that was a uh, cousin uh, who's like a brother, Mario. And um, yeah, I just, I've been basically online fighting every racist comment that's coming out because like people don't even know, understand when they're gaslighting. They don't understand that this is a person, but they'll take the opportunity to put down a dead indigenous woman. And for that, I hope they burn in hell because it's disgusting. I cannot imagine like spitting on the grave of somebody like the way people who have no personal connection do, you know, even me, I actually feel like in a lot of ways, it's not my place to talk about this, but in a lot of ways it is because the next Sisters in Spirit March that we do, I want to make sure that their family feels like, you know, if anyone is in Calgary, that they are welcomed and that they are given the mic and that they get their, their opportunity to speak. Because clearly the media is going to tell every side for the cop first, right? Because that's how colonialism works. And that's what's been in all of the reports that people fail to read. So anyway, I just, I feel really awful for the family. I know that they've gotten some really wonderful quotes in here. We believe Robin didn't deserve to die. We want to see justice, says Mario. We believe that that Calgary police officer could have taken very different steps dealing with Robin. A taser could have been used instead of shooting our cousin. My cousin isn't the type of person to be an aggressor. But I know what it is. I know exactly what it is. One guy in Forest Lawn has been on the rampage to get rid of sex workers, get rid of addicts, call the police, encouraging the community to call the police like crazy. And now we have another dead Indigenous woman. Good job. Good job, folks. Ugh. So I'm a little pissed off about that, obviously. And I, I hope you guys can understand why, because this is a bigger picture than just that this is hurting Waterhand community. It's bigger than that. It hurts me as an Indigenous mother. It hurts me because I know nobody cares about the way Colton Crochet's family is being treated either, or Stephanie English's family. And Stephanie English, who is the mother of Joey English, has been posting about this as well. And I've been sharing that because I think it's really important that Calgarians understand this is how you're treating Indigenous people. This blood is on you for this. I don't understand why more people don't see that. I want to give a, sh a shout out to Selena um, out in Toronto who said that black civil servants are passed over for promotions. And she talked about systemic racism within the Canadian government. And I'm like, yep, I know. I know this. If anybody cared enough to implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, they would know that it's not just Indigenous education. It's anti-racism education. So guess what? It actually helps everybody. So if I could get folks from the black and the brown communities to understand the gravity of that, you need to understand it would help us all if we work together on this. Anyway, um, elementary students create a new book in an effort to understand reconciliation. So I actually heard um, bits of this on the 
on the CBC radio. And I actually got pretty teared up because when it comes from the mouth of babes, right? I mean, obviously I'm a mom, so. But the article itself that comes from Manitoba, so Austin Grabish, you use the term 94 recommendations. Seriously, give me an aneurysm. Every time I see 94 recommendations, I pretty much want to do a Darth Vader throat hug because they're not recommendations. They are calls to action. Quit using recommendations. If you're talking about the National Inquiry, they are calls to justice. Anyway, cute little story. And when I read the actual story, I thought what was said was really, really important. Um, this school in Winnipeg has been working on a student-made book, working on, on it for a year and a half, that has the 94 calls to action translated into simple language that kids can understand. It's so funny because I thought when I read it, I'm like, this is really simple to understand. But if you're in grade four to six, maybe it's not as simple, right? So actually, I really applaud this work. Uh, Maddie Armstrong Wilson said that when she started work, working on the project, she didn't know what reconciliation was. Oh, Maddie, Maddie, Maddie in grade six. I know adults who have no idea what reconciliation is, so... I think it's really important that you are smart enough, unlike most of the adults in this country, to question, what the heck is reconciliation? And I'm really proud of you for saying those words. And you know what? You look so much like my daughter. It, it's just, it's actually striking. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of, you know, Maddie and to uh, Calvin Keating, who said, I know that if every single call to action is filled out, our world could really be a better place. Well, Calvin... You and Maddie know a lot more than the average Canadian adult knows. So hats off to you. Now, I didn't actually see in here anywhere that you can um, you like buy this, but I know I would. It says here that every student will get a hard copy book and it'll later be available throughout the Winnipeg School Division in the libraries. <sighs> Dear Winnipeg School Division, I'm a book nerd and I really want this book. So I really hope you consider publishing it. Maybe as a fundraiser for, I don't know, school fees or something. So that that way uh, kids can take the bus on uh, field trips or something. But anyway, really want to give you guys a shout out. Uh, this book looks amazing. <laughs> Made me tear up when I heard parts of it on the uh, radio. And things like that actually fill my heart. What's that expression from Dr. Seuss that like makes my heart grow three times bigger? Like I kid you not. You are the reason why I get up in the morning, I swear to God. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. Oh, look, one of the school cemeteries around an Indian residential school was actually given back to Indigenous people. And we're going to celebrate that. Don't get me wrong, that's celebration worthy. I just can't believe in Canada we have schools with graves around them, and we still don't really understand the gravity of that. And we allow private people to own that, and that's... Um, when I was thinking about the reconciliation walk, um, I did pretty good. But when they said the Red Deer Industrial School, I just cheered up because I know that one had the most deaths. And where you can see it is that it's actually on private property right now. And I just, it makes me so sick that it's on private property and there's little bodies all around there not being properly honored and recognized. As soon as there's somebody in the ground like that, that should automatically not be private property. 
<sighs> it just kills me. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, one of my non-Indigenous friends that I grew up with um, is a twin and has this Elthers-Daniels syndrome. And you know how when you like take your fingers and you pull them back and you can pull them back like oddly? Well, the, there's actually a syndrome to that. But the thing is, is that syndrome is not a nice syndrome. I have watched my friend, you know, sometimes be wheelchair bound and in so much pain. So I, I shared that because um, I, I think I'll, like we talk about ableism a lot in intersectionality, cultural training. And this is a great example where you can look at someone and like, obviously, my friends look fabulous. They do. And but they're inside. They're in excruciating pain. And it really talks about, you know, what a bad day looks like with different people. And it, it just I hope it gives you some empathy and compassion and understanding that just because somebody looks amazing, which my friends do, they just and, and I just mean these friends that have this syndrome, these twins, because they are amazing people and they've always been kind and one of the few people that have followed me down the red road. So anyway, 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 still Pride Month, still Indigenous Awareness Month, Tyrell Benelli. So I didn't know who this person was, but this fabulous person was featured in Navajo Times. And my daughter watches like, uh, I think it's James Charles or something like that. Basically, Folks who only worry about makeup, like makeup tutorials. And, you know, obviously our LGBTQ plus community members are masters. I mean, I feel completely inadequate when I look at my own makeup sometimes. But when I talk about makeup, I mean like professional grade IATSE type makeup where people are in the industry doing amazing work, uh, drag shows, bigger than drag shows, but like for, for everything. And some of the artwork that they can do on their face is just blow you out of the water. Amazing. And um, so I just wanted to feature that because I actually didn't know there was like a native James Charles type person. And, um, you know, so I started following them on Twitter. They locked down their accounts. So I don't know if there was some kind of lateral violence or some, you know, other type of violence that was happening. So, but I'm going to be following this Tyrell because um, obviously they're doing fabulous makeup, but there's always that potential to see what, what it is, what it is that they do. But you know, those YouTube to makeup to tutorials are, are just the rave in my family. That's for sure. But I didn't know that we had a wonderful native guy to be following. And, um, Chevy rabbit is somebody in this area that is kind of like the superstar of that. So every so often I get to see amazing photos of other people's makeup that they have done. And, uh, yeah, just wanted to put that out there. Shout out. What did I say? When I, when you suggest something, someone, oh, when you suggest to someone, they don't believe you. Talk to another person, hear the same suggestion, and then only follow through. Yeah, let me tell you, racism and sexism against Indigenous women is a thing that happens to me every single day. And I just had to put that out there because I know, I just want other Indigenous women, girls, who this happens to, because I know it happens to you too, to know that it it's happening, it's normal. I hate it that it's normal, and it shouldn't be normal. But it it's easy for us to gaslight and doubt ourselves. And when you're not listened to by multiple people at multiple times in your life, it's pretty hard not to internalize it. So to the women out there, who or to the girls who say something, 
and people completely disregard what you have to say. Know that also comes from Indian residential schools as well. It's a part of our intergenerational trauma. And um, I hate it. I hate it. And I hate that you have to deal with it too. So if you ever want to send in some of your stories, don't hesitate. Paula Simons became uh, one of our senators here in Alberta. And um, before that was a journalist and really talked about gay rights pioneer uh, Delwyn Fred, who never set up to be one of the LGBTQ plus heroes, not just here locally, but also like nationally because of um, by taking this um, uh, thing to court, it basically helped all indigenous or indigenous uh, LGBTQ plus community members across the country about not being discriminated against in the workplace. So, I mean, we all know that still happens, no question. Um, but it, it was kind of the, the court case that really set it in, in place. And I actually met him and heard it on, um, I want to say it was the 15th anniversary of that court case. And I got to hear from the horse's mouth. He actually lives in France now. So it was a really big deal. I even got to meet him, frankly. And, um, Anyway, the 20th anniversary of that court decision came up, so Paula re-shared her information about it, and I just think it's really important on Pride Month specifically that we know our history. I mean, it should be something we're always focused on in our history. Apparently, I'm the only person who caught from, uh, you know, World War II that it's not okay to have detention centers, but hey, we're getting there, right? Oh, so this was an old memory that Isaac Murdoch re-shared, and... I don't know if Isaac Murdoch and Christy Belcourt are just like the most close professional group together, but they always work together. And um, one of the paintings that was done and has Christy with Isaac, and Isaac took a snap of it last year. And it was her artwork called Bloodletting. Does this make you happy with who I am? And it brings to light the discrimination that impacts one's spirit and that we need to be kind to each other. But it basically is about how having some white ancestry in your blood should never make you ashamed. That's silly. Uh, never let people racial pro racially profile you as less than based on blood quantum. And I think all of us know what that means. No, how native are you? Like, like, are you only half native? Like, if you're one of those people asking those questions, stop doing that immediately. Stop it. Be proud of who you are and defend your ancestors. Isaac Murdoch reminds us, and I think it's important to share those things because of the how native are you or the many times you say something and they just, you know, not listen to you. Canada adds neo-Nazi groups, blood and honor, combat 18 to the list of terror organizations. It's about bloody time. Holy Hannah. But whatever, at least it's on there now. I just can't believe how much we have to fight to get neo-Nazis on there when they clearly are the ones doing most of the shootings. And they even, like, tell us. They say, hey, man, that guy in Canada who shot up all those women, man, that guy was a hero, so I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> Come on, Canada, get with the program. It's really sad that it took other countries calling us out in order for us to finally do it. But, you know, if you're a liberal, which I was, then you're going to use that to say, you know, yay, look at us. Anyway. <sighs> anyway. Oh, I didn't get to go to this. Or no. What day is today? The 30th. So, <clears throat> queering in ingenuity. Deep inside Clint Star. 
There was a great, uh, there's actually a lot of really cool events that just happened this weekend that had uh, two spirit people uh, doing it. I won't get much into that, but it just makes me happy because let me tell you, in my childhood, I didn't even know what a vegan was until Katie Lang was doing that. I, I, I didn't understand how that related to sexuality, but it wasn't until I was older that I understood, oh, she's a lesbian, so they were demonizing her. Oh, she doesn't eat meat, so they were demonizing her. I didn't understand any of it. All I knew was that Katie Lang was a freaking hero for being different, and even more of a rock star, you know, the more I found out about her later. So I actually think everyone needs to have, like, a scholastic Katie Lang book in Alberta. Everyone should know who Katie Lang is. We almost should almost have to be, like, tattooed with Katie Lang, because... She's pretty much a rock star. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, really funny tweets, the gays, during Pride Month. It's important to remember in Calgary. And bridge through the first brick. <laughs> I thought it was a good joke. Uh, he said, joking about, you know, the increased corporate, incorporate, um money into Pride, basically. And how that corporation's appropriate pride for their own benefit and the reason why this is so damn funny to me is that like literally this happened to evan's yellow old woman from voices at pride where he did an amazing land acknowledgement and the premier came up and started chanting build that pipe so it's not even like like it's actually so totally plausible anyway a little triggering as well always good to read some satire to it but for those who have no idea why i would bring this up it's not funny. Um, the LGBTQ2 plus community has been working for their rights forever. The very least that we can do is honor that and not try to appropriate it. And it's so interesting how people can figure out that, you know, corporations are appropriating a culture here when it comes to pride, but can't put this together when it comes to indigenous issues. Oh, wait, your bias is showing. Anyway, 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 I have a million things to really talk about, but I think what really matters is that I wanted you all to know, went over to Chestermere today, had a wonderful time with their second pride, and yeah, I I don't know. I want to talk about all of the apprehension that happened here across the country and this poor little family that was 90 minutes and they stole the baby. Because they did a C-section on the mother, but they were indigenous. What a freaking coincidence. And then the social workers, um, you know, said something and the judge said, oh, yeah, no, that must be true. Like, people don't even see systemic racism when it's so clearly in front of them and actually in written ink in report after report after report. I don't know how to talk about this. By Jesse, um, Jesse's new book that's coming out. I've been sharing about it. Oh my God, I have so much to say that I can't possibly get it within an hour. So I want all of the uh, women that are writing for MMIW, Joan Jack, just to know you inspire me. Please know that we're all watching you and we just love what you're doing. I've always loved what you do and you inspire have always inspired me, frankly. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I wish I could talk about a million things more, but i got to wrap this up. I love you all. Thank you for listening. So with that, I will say happy Pride and Indigenous Awareness Month. Um, Indigenous have been talking about these issues and sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. 
honor the words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote to that party results directly negatively on marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. Violence is our everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to heal, speak without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure as hell want to tell us their shitty opinions, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized uh, racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, and people who are in their trauma, and stop people from being able to do the work. External, internal racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I see it on the comments right now about Robin Fiddler. Uh, How sad we needed a podcast to be heard, but here we are. I hope my daughter, my family will be proud as I try to discuss these issues in a way that they'll understand down the road. I've talked about cultural safety and standing up for others many times. I'm sad to not see it more. Um, You can Google cultural safety, but I always talk about don't call the police. And yet all the community members did. And now look, another dead Indigenous person. So let me reiterate, for many communities experiencing harassment right now, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, Indigenous, and immigrant, the police can cause greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence. But don't do nothing if silence is dangerous. It communicates approval. That's basically what I'm seeing. Anyway, First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline is 1-855-242-3310. It's open 24 hours, 7 days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, and what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, he's been my support down the journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every single day, you give me accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to Alexandria, Ashley, Beatrice, Celine. 
Diana, Heather, Jocelyn, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Lee, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, with one S, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for, for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, but listen in, you know, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. You could share my podcast. You could uh, share some of the things that I put out there, which I've noticed a lot of increased activity for. So thank you, folks. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to say thank you to Leah for your comment. Your podcast is a blend of self-empowerment and healing, and it is propelled into the sound waves as I feel them here. I want to end with giving a side-eye to all the Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish.